0: He studied the highest performing teams in the world and uncovered what he thinks gives them their advantage. This week on the show, Daniel Coyle talks about what leaders of exceptional teams do that other leaders
1: don't. Well, if someone had asked me, describe the last pet you owned. I got that. I got that. I can crush that question. That's an easy one, right? I got it. Cockapoo, 15 pounds. Name was Moby. Okay. How about this is there something you've always dreamed of doing why haven't you done it screw that
0: hmm. we'll dig more into his point there and talk more about cockapoos, starlings navy seals and pixar all that packed into less than 30 minutes let's go this is the decide to lead podcast with russ hill Welcome into episode 23, Russ Hill with you, host of the Decide to Lead podcast. If you're new to this podcast, I'm a leadership coach, consultant, author, and host of this weekly show, Make My Living Traveling Around the World, working with primarily fortune 500 companies in all sorts of different industries and this show i created this really as a hobby last year crazy to think that we're up to thousands and thousands of listeners no marketing i haven't made any attempt to really get this show out there it's just all of you who discover it in whatever podcast app you're using and then you just tell a, a spouse a loved one a peer and Uh, an employee, whomever, about it, either on social media or in person, you tell them about it. And I, I just want to thank you so much for doing that. This podcast is for those who aren't yet the person they want to become and for leaders who are looking for tips, hacks, unlocks, anything that's working to help the team they're leading achieve and sustain extraordinary results. And there are, there are things that the most effective leaders are doing that the least effective leaders aren't doing and so I try to use this this show every week to just have an informal conversation knowing that you're listening to this while mowing the lawn or working out on the treadmill or rushing to the airport or whatever you might or (laughs) needing help to fall asleep and maybe you never make it beyond two minutes into the podcast for those of you good night hope you sleep well sweet dreams anyway I'm just joking with you but My ideas or my objective is to share with you best practices, ideas. And today's episode is uh, is about a book that I'm reading that I found a lot of value in. Amazon named it one of the best books of last year. It's certainly made it all the bestseller list. And it's written by an author who hasn't. He doesn't have experience doing what I do. So he's not in boardrooms and in front of thousands of leaders around the world in all different industries all the time, but he does uh, make his living. He's written several books studying different things, questions he has of why teams in, in this case, in this book, studying why certain teams achieve extraordinary results and get a level of performance out of the team members that other organizations or other teams don't get. Um, from their team members and so Daniel Coyle is the author and uh, I'm just going to get right to it Uh, the first clip here he talks about he asks a question and gets you to think about something and so throughout today's show I'm going to play different clips and, and add in some color my own thoughts to what Daniel says but let's get to clip number one let's get that ready to play and it's just Daniel causing us to think about some of our own experiences go
1: Take a second and think about the most connected team that you've ever been on, the most cohesive team. It could be a team from school, it could be a team from sports, it could be a group, it could be a family group, it could be work, but think about that feeling, not your performance, think about that feeling, what that feeling feels like to be on a team that is cooperative, cohesive, and connected. Have you got it? So here's a question, what's that worth? What is that worth? How does that add to performance? How much would that add to performance? We know that good groups are more than the sum of their parts.
0: It's such a great point, right? I mean, all of us can relate to that, whether it's at home our extended family, whether it's at work in a community organization, wherever it is, every one of us has had experiences with teams that, man, they're just, there's something special there. They are clicking in a way that other teams aren't, and and so what's the difference? That's that is the question that Daniel set out to explore, and that led him to looking or thinking about a group of birds of all things. And so, if you know what starlings are, just little birds, right? Um, and and all of us have had the experience too of looking up in the sky. And just picture this for a moment. You, you, you know, when you see like hundreds of birds and the formation they're flying in is like it's almost like they're an aircraft or a UFO up in the sky because one bird makes a left turn. They all make the left turn just perfectly in a, in a perfect formation. And so, Daniel, by the way, these clips are coming from his appearance before the RSA. It's an organization, a group in England. And I'm going to give you a link at the end to where you can watch the entire speech he gives, which I think is well worth your time. I'm only giving you high level clips here, but you can watch. I'll I'll give you the link to watch the whole YouTube video at the end of the podcast. But Daniel
1: talks to this group about the starlings. This embodies what good groups do. They move at speed. Information flowing through the entire group, solving problems in real time. That's what great groups do. And the funny thing is, starlings have brains as big as a grain of rice. They're not paying attention to values, or mission, (laughs) or purpose. What they are doing instead is doing the thing that all good groups do. They're paying keen attention to signals of connection. They're paying keen attention to signals that share information with each other. They're sharing accurate information and signals of direction. And here's the thing, you are not so different. There's a deep human grammar of connection that we all are connected to. Signals. It's a language. It's a language, not of words, but of signals. Signals that connect us, signals through which we share information, and signals through which we determine direction. And it looks like this. This is the model for thinking about this space of culture. How do human beings connect? Well, we connect through safety. We build safety. When we get a signal of safety, we connect. How do we share information? How do we share accurate information in groups? We share vulnerability. We open up to each other and tell each other the truth. How do we determine direction? How do humans determine what direction their group should go, whether that group is a family, a sports team, an organization, or a community? It's a story. That story tells us what direction to go.
0: Isn't that good? Like, and by the way, it's going to keep getting better over the next few minutes. Um, that's why I'm bringing you. I'm talking about this book, and I'm talking about Daniel Coyle and culture code this book, because there's real good meat here to chew on there. There's a lot of value. And so I hear that last clip from Daniel and I think what kinds of signals am I sending as a leader? And, and there's, we're going to get deeper into that. We're going to talk about those three things, safety, vulnerability, and direction, which are the three main parts of his book. That's how he's divided in. And that's, that's, that's what he noticed was different about teams that just performed better. And he tells all kinds of stories, including one about my favorite. Maybe this is why I'm biased about the book, too. He, told, he tells a story about uh, the San Antonio Spurs. And if you know me at all, if you've been following me for a while, or if we're personally connected, you know I'm from San Antonio. Originally, that's where I was born, San Antonio, Texas home of the world champion, not currently, but a lot of times in the past, (laughs) San Antonio Spurs. And he talks about, uh, it was really surprising because I had no idea Daniel did this in his book. And I'm listening to it one uh, Saturday, a few weeks ago, uh, doing some yard work here in Phoenix, where I live now, and he starts talking about Greg Popovich, who at the time he was made the head coach of the San Antonio Spurs. I was living in San Antonio at the time, and he almost got he needed like security around him because the fans were so upset with Greg Popovich becoming the head coach. He, he basically gave himself that job of head coach. He was a general manager at the time and, and nobody or very few people thought he would be able to do it. And now Greg Popovich is viewed as one of the best, one of the best head coaches in the national basketball association of all time. And what does Greg do It's just one example. He talks about some other groups and I'm going to play some clips here in a minute. Don't worry. You're not going to, you're not going to have to hear about the San Antonio Spurs that's in the book, but he talks about these different teams and what, what signals. And I never thought about that with Greg Popovich. He's sending certain signals after a loss, after a win, when a new player joins the team, very intentional on what he's doing. And the same is true in, 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 other organizations, which you're going to hear about in just a minute. Before I go there, you guys know that I make my living consulting leaders, primarily of Fortune 500 companies, on how to manage their culture. So I am very opinionated on culture and what causes culture to work. And there are some people uh, that when you mention the word culture, when it comes to achieving results in an organization or on a team or a company, they think, oh, that's the soft and fluffy stuff, which just makes me want to scream because I'm like, are you kidding me? That is the competitive advantage for Chick-fil-A. That's what makes Ritz Carlton the way it is. That's what Nordstrom has discovered. Southwest Airlines is using that to drive incredible results. Delta's working so hard as an airline to improve their culture. That's what Net- goes on and on and on. It's the competitive advantage of so many of these organizations. They figured out that if they can get leaders to manage the culture, it is the secret of why those teams are able to achieve extraordinary results. Now, when you get into the tactical things about, well, okay, well, with the company I own, whether it's three employees or three hundred thousand or the company i'm an executive at or the small community organization that i volunteer with a religious team or whatever it is how do i manage the culture and and i was so glad to hear uh daniel Coyle talk about this because some leaders think oh yeah we kind of manage our culture here we have a list of values that are framed up on the wall
1: what is culture how do we get better at culture well you want to have values You want to have leadership. You want to have trust. You want to have teamwork and integrity and mission and purpose and honesty and integrity and cohesion. And the list goes on and on. This is a perfectly true list. All this is in fact true, but it's useless as a tool. It's not a good tool. How do we get better at culture? Well, do this stuff, right? So, it's a huge irony. Culture is by far the most important thing you do. Culture is by far the most important force in our community, in our families, in our organizations. And our way of thinking about it is medieval. Like, can we just get a round of applause <laughs> about that? I'm sorry.
0: I geeked out on that because this is the world I live in. And if I could just play that clip over and over and over again for executives. Of Fortune 100 companies, <laughs> having values is good, but it doesn't change the culture. I could tell you, uh, we were working with a healthcare organization, and oh man, this is ah, oh, it makes my like my the the hairs on my skin just stand up because not out of a not out of chills, but out of like frustration because we were working with a uh, an organization making progress on their culture. And they have 18,000 employees and we're digging in. We're in the middle of like halfway through year one and we've got all 18,000 engaged. And I'm traveling out to the East Coast a ton working with this team. And they bring in a new CEO because the old one's getting old and they bring in the new CEO. And he goes, oh, this, why are we working? Yeah, all we need is some values. And he rips apart all that we've been working on and just puts out a few values. You think that's driving change in the organization? It's not. And so what you need to so you're sitting there thinking, okay, well, Russ, what do I do then for my team or my company? Well, here's what you do. And this is where Daniel Coyle and I disagree a little bit. We don't disagree, but I don't think he's seen this part of business and he, he doesn't intend to. My, my belief is in his book and in his, in, in his message, he doesn't want to get too tactical, which is totally good, but I, I will. And the tactical area is you need to come up with shifts. And we talk about this more in um, in episode 15. I play for you an interview that Jeff Bezos, the uh, CEO and founder, of course, of Amazon did. I've gotten huge amounts of feedback from that episode, like incredible amounts of people listen to that and give me uh, uh, give me feedback on it. Episode 15 um you got to go back and listen to if you haven't already and it's worth listening to again if you if it's been a while but in episode 15 part of the interview that jeff bezos does he talks about how he's defined shifts that need to take place in the amazon culture he calls them leadership principles they have 14 of them which is way too many but when you're the world's richest man you get to have however many you want right it should be for your team in my opinion based on years of doing this and seeing what works and what doesn't work, your team ought to have three or four shifts you're trying to make in the culture. So, for instance, at Amazon, one of them is they need people to move faster. Over 600,000 employees at Amazon now, More than 150,000 of those have been added in the last 18 months. How do you get people to move quickly and not become too bureaucratic? Well, one of their beliefs or leadership principles is bias for action. That's what they call it. Again, a lot more of this in previous episodes. And I've got a whole entire 10-minute training on this on Instagram. So if you're not following or connected with me on Instagram, I think you might find value in doing that. And again, I'll tell you how to do that at the end of the show. But I, did, I posted a, a whole 10-minute training with slides, a whole PowerPoint thing on how Amazon uses these, these shifts in their culture. And you just find it on my Instagram TV channel, which, again, I'll give you links to at the end of the podcast. So going back to what Daniel Coyle is talking about, values aren't enough. You need to have shifts identified. So how do I need my team to think differently than we're currently thinking? We need to be more this, less that. And you put language around that and you start working on that. So at Chick-fil-A, they've identified exactly how they need that drive-through 17-year-old employee to think. And that's why it's so stinking consistent because she or he has been told over and over and over again, here is the experience we need you to create. This is the belief we need The people who come through our drive through to hold about their experience with us. And this is how your success at our company is going to be judged. Can you deliver on this? It's not about just getting the food out fast. You got to give them the food. No, it's about customer experience. That's why McDonald's is a disaster and Chick-fil-A is a rock star. And yeah, Chick-fil-A has all kinds of problems and some of you just your skin curls and you get all upset when I talk about Chick-fil-A in a positive way. Let's just talk about business results, okay? That's what they do. And you could say the same thing about Southwest Airlines. Those people on the planes, 95% of them think and act the way the company needs them to in order to get the results, the financial results they need. It's because they're proactive in managing their culture. And so the question for you becomes, how do I need my people to think and am I being intentional in telling them that do we have not values of integrity on the wall or trust doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything but or but do you have bias for action or another one at uh, another belief a statement a shift at amazon is customer obsession and they've got a whole definition a sentence long with what does that mean we need you to be obsessed with the customer and so one of the unlocks here is is have you defined that for your team? It, even if it's three people in your company, start now. That's when Jeff started at the very beginning. And that's how he's been able to build what he's built at Amazon. Okay, let's get into the next clip. And this is about Pixar and the Navy SEALs. I want to get into the three things that that uh, Daniel Coyle talks about. Safety, building an environment of safety, building, uh, working on vulnerability. We're going to get deeper into that. And then direction. This is really, really good. And so let's get to the next clip. Where uh, Daniel talks about um, the vulnerability and safety that exist at Pixar and the Navy
1: SEALs. When I was traveling around visiting Pixar and Navy SEAL Team 6, I kept having the same interaction where a leader would open up to me. I was walking around Pixar and walking through a beautiful building, and it was the most beautiful building I had ever seen. And I'm from Alaska, so I haven't seen many beautiful buildings. But... (laughs) It was incredible, and I said, I said to the president of Pixar, Ed, this is the coolest building I have ever been in. And he said, actually, this building was a huge mistake. Like a $20 million building. This building was a huge mistake. We made the hallways too narrow. We put the atrium in the wrong spot. And what's more, we made all those mistakes and didn't even realize we were making them. Stunning openness. I met him a Navy SEAL commander who said, the most important four words any leader can say are, I screwed that up. Interesting, I thought SEALs were confident.
0: Isn't that interesting? I find that I find that those statements that, that Daniel just made really, really interesting to think about. And so his experience, his premise of his book is teams that achieve a higher level of performance, the leader has been very intentional on creating a safe atmosphere where you can trust one another. And he or she has done that primarily through the second point of being very intentional on the the signals of vulnerability that they they uh, send out. Remember, we go back to signals the way that the starlings communicate. It's not because these birds have big brains; they have really small ones, but they're sending out constant signals to each other. And I love what he says in his book and in this in this uh, onstage appearance he made in England of where he's saying that's the way our human brains work. We're looking for signals all the time. And the unlock, one of the unlocks I want to give to you in this episode is to really have you think about what are the signals that I'm sending out. And if that feels soft to you, it, it, it can't because this is so critical. And so we can dig deeper and I'll give you links to the book again to, to, to be able to dig deeper in because he's got some thoughts on it. I don't think they're complete. That would be like a eight eight thousand word page or eight thousand page book, but he gives some good ideas in the book. And then you know, just really, what I have you think about is what are the signals I should be sending? And he gets deeper into this because we need to send out signals of vulnerability. The Pixar executive did that by being open. In fact, he probably wasn't even thinking about it. It's just who he is. He's become so skilled at this. That it's who he is. He's he's talking openly about, well, this building was actually a waste of money, or we 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 spent it incorrectly. We made mistakes. And and so often I can't it's such a pet peeve of mine, or such an it's not a pet peeve, it's an area of emphasis for me. Is that so many leaders that I have the chance to interact with don't intentionally send out signals of vulnerability. Or they do Very rarely in a dramatic moment, but really effective leaders in my, my, my belief. And now I'm hearing Daniel Coyle back it up is they're intentional doing it all the time. And then that goes to the, the Navy SEALs, uh, commander, the guy who says, look, the, the most important words are, I screwed this up, you know, because it show it sends signals that, Oh, like we can be real here. I don't have to spend my energy protecting myself and making myself look better than I maybe am I don't have to be defensive with that team or that department or the customer whatever I can be real and it's man there's so much good stuff here anyway let's get to another clip of Daniel he's talking more about this idea of showing vulnerability and and what that what that looks like
1: for example if someone had asked me describe the last pet you owned I got that I got that, I can crush that question. That's an easy one, right? I got it. Kakapo, 15 pounds, name was Moby, okay? How about this? Is there something you've always dreamed of doing? Why haven't you done it? Screw that. <laughs> I'm good, I'm gonna stick with the pets. It requires a moment. It requires a moment of vulnerability and openness. What that's called is a vulnerability loop. It's a loop because two people have to do it. If one of you does it and the other doesn't, it doesn't count. What's interesting is when you create a vulnerability loop and then test cooperation and performance, if we were to give you a test that measured your relative ability to cooperate, like a puzzle you had to solve with your partner, this group would score higher, about 24% higher. Which is bizarre, because normally we think our model of trust is, I need to trust you before I'm vulnerable. But we're wrong. We have it exactly backwards. When you are vulnerable, it creates trust. When you are vulnerable, when you open up and have a vulnerability loop and share weakness and share truth, it creates closeness and cooperation. And the places that I visited operationalized that. They didn't just leave it to free-range openness. That's what that president of Pixar was doing. He was sending a signal of openness. That's why the Navy SEAL commander says, I screwed that up are the four most important words a leader can say, because they free up a conversation about what actually happened. Truth, accurate information. And good groups operationalize this like a habit. The SEALs have something called an AAR, which is an after-action review. After a mission, they circle up, they talk about what went wrong, what went right, and what they'll do differently next time. It's a hard meeting. It's a hard meeting to have, but it's incredibly powerful because it allows information to flow in the group for the common good. So that moment of sharing weakness is what makes
0: groups strong. That, that statement, I think, is super powerful. That moment of sharing weakness is what makes teams strong. Like that to me is a write down statement, right? That moment of sharing weakness is what makes teams strong. And it goes back to him, you know, him talking about the Navy SEALs. I thought they were the the best in the world, the strongest, whatever. And yet they what makes them strong is talking about what I did that went wrong or what I what mistake I made. So what does this look like? What does this look like for leaders who are leading teams or organizations? Here's how I think people often hear leaders in my experience, when they hear the word vulnerability, they think, oh, yeah, well, I'm totally open talking about how other people screwed up. They don't say it that way, but they they feel like they've got an open dialogue because in this culture, in this organization, we're going to tell it like it really is. And I'm going to hold you accountable and you just need to be willing to take it. And and if you can't handle the openness of our culture and when I'm going to hold you accountable, then you're not going to survive here. And that's OK as long as in fact, it's good if you, as long as you start from a place of my team gets to hold me accountable and I'm going to intentionally acknowledge where I screwed up all the time. I want to work for a leader like that who's just open and raw and willing to talk about, oh, man, this is where we misled you or where we made a wrong decision or and and there's just a, a feeling of safety in that organization and so what happens the reason those teams are so much more effective and achieve a higher level of performance is because the defensive nature of human behavior goes away now i don't have to justify when i make a mistake i don't have to make up excuses or stories i don't have to cover them up i don't and so i don't spend as much energy as an employee or member of this team just coming up with the plan the narrative of why we can't achieve certain things. Well, it was her fault, his fault. They didn't do that. This didn't happen where I'm spending so much energy reinforcing my, my, my value to the organization by being ready to explain to you why the mistakes weren't my fault or why if we didn't achieve a certain result, the revenue number or whatever else, it wasn't me. Cause look at all the things I did. And so, so many employees or members of teams in so many organizations spend so much energy justifying or defending their contribution. I did my part, but you ought to talk to that department or that person or that policy. You ought to look at it, whatever. And and when you create an atmosphere of safety, which I really value Daniel Coyle talking about this in his book, Culture Code, the culture code is uh, when you create an atmosphere of safety and The leader is intentionally vulnerable. Wow. It just leads to so the energy is redirected toward problem solving and moving in that formation like the starlings flying up in the sky. The third piece he talked about, which I don't have time to get into because I'm committed to keeping these podcast episodes to around 30 minutes is a direction, which is critically important. Think again about the flock of birds. They, they, they're going in a certain direction. They're all, that's what makes that formation so unique or so interesting. And, and so, um, I, I, I spelled this out in other podcast episodes and I spent a lot of energy on Instagram driving this home, this point home about results. And clearly it's a whole chapter in my upcoming book. Uh, I call the chapter, Can You Describe the Destination? and uh, can you define and describe the, de- the the destination because great leaders are able to do that and so that's the third part of the book which is important but i wanted to focus on this podcast episode anyway on uh, points one and two safety and vulnerability all right here's what uh if you want to find if you there's a ton more here from daniel coyle that i think's worth uh your consideration i'm just touching like the highest levels in this podcast episode pretty good stuff though right i, ho- I hope you found value in me bringing this to you um so if you go to russhill.com slash 023 for episode 23, so russhill.com slash 023, here's what you'll find. You'll find the link to the video, the YouTube video, the full hour of where Daniel does this presentation to the RSA group in England that I used clips from that you can listen and, or watch the entire video there. I highly recommend it. Lots more value I didn't have time to bring you. Um, You'll find links to Daniel's, um, his book, and uh, I highly recommend it. I don't know Daniel at all, never interacted with him. Um, We may have him on a future episode, but I I just find value in people who cause me to think differently, and he's effective at that. Um, And the, uh, the third thing you'll find is links to links to uh, connect with me on Instagram, other social media platforms, because I'm bringing a lot. I'm trying to at least bring a lot of value to you, cause you to think in between these podcast episodes. So Instagram is my social media platform of choice. If you're not using it a lot, well, connect with me on Facebook or LinkedIn. I like hardly do anything on LinkedIn. And I'm going to step up my game on Facebook in the coming weeks. But Instagram is where I'm doing most of the stuff right now. So um, the links to all those social media uh, accounts for me are at uh, at com slash023 and I, I really appreciate your com- your comments your direct messages I read all of them and uh, and so yeah that's that's uh, what you'll find at rushhill.com/023 slash023 All right that wraps up episode number 23 of the decide to lead podcast. look forward to connecting you with you as I mentioned on social media otherwise we will talk to you right here next week.